0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's always a privilege uh, to share the Word of God, but uh, it is a particular privilege privilege this morning because I get to preach alongside uh, my brother Bobby and and be with David. Um, Without further ado, let's turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to look at uh, verse 1 through 17. Okay. The emphasis of the sermon will be between verses 13 through 17, but for the sake of context and comprehension, uh, I'd like us to look at the preceding 12 verses. So in Matthew chapter 3, Verse 1. If you can stand with me at the reading of the Word of God, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. This is the Word of God in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Quote, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken. This is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan whose sandals I am not worthy to, can't, to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. <clears throat> John would have prevented Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered John, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. You may have a seat. Okay. Let us go to our Lord and Savior for help in this time of need. Let us pray. <clears throat> Blessed be your name, O Father, God of grace, God of mercy, God of love, God of majesty, brilliance and honor. You are the King of glory. And we lift our heads to you because you are the lifter of our head. And we find unknown security. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus, you are at the right hand, and thank you at this time you are interceding for us, and you are more concerned with our holiness than we could ever be. May your word uh, sanctify us, Lord, because your word is truth. Uh, I ask that you help me to uh, convey and. And uh, just bring forth your word, spirit, help me to be accurate, um, but also uh, to connect and to love your people, uh, to feed your flock, as I rely upon your grace. It is in your name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Uh, There are two things that I want to share this morning, uh, Lord willing, very quickly, uh, I know that you guys are tired, um, but um, I hope this message excites you. Uh, one thing that I want you guys to understand about this text and about just the, the totality of the gospel message is that uh, that, it, that because of Christ, uh, we, can, we can have the verdict without the performance. We can have a verdict or a, a, uh, a judgment without the performance. You can get a grade without the grades. Um, and secondly, I want to share in this message how we can the victory in the voice of Christ. Victory in the voice of Christ. Particularly in the voice of Christ. Right? Um, you know, when I was young, uh, I heard the sermon, and I was still a very young Christian, and like all of us, we're still... We're still, we're still mining and, and, and figuring out uh, the depths of God's grace. And I remember this one speaker, maybe I just misunderstood uh, the gist of his illustration, but he gave <clears throat> an illustration about uh, a family in Korea. And it was right after the Korean War, so they were still poverty-stricken, and Korea was still going through a lot of uh, financial mess. And uh, <clears throat> there was a single mother uh, who probably had a child out of wedlock, and uh, she didn't know what to do with her newborn baby. And it was the middle of winter, and she decided uh, to to knock on a stranger's door, uh, whom she had seen in the marketplace and uh, thought they could raise her son. And so she knocked on the door of this person's house in, in the middle of the night, left her newborn baby there, and she disappeared. Um, but there's a part of the story um, that still uh, gives me chills, You know, no pun intended, is that she, um, in order to uh, keep her child warm uh, throughout the night, uh, she actually took off all her clothes, wrapped her child, and, um, and so when she ran into the night, uh, she was totally naked. She was completely naked. She probably died of uh, hypothermia or some kind of illness. And uh, when, the, when the young boy grew up, uh, the parents told him that he was adopted, that they were not biologically linked. And uh, when he heard the story about how his mother saved him, how that she died for him, gave up her clothes for him. Um, he he scoured the land, he researched, and he somehow found uh, her burial site. And when he discovered the burial site, um, he premeditated uh, to to go to the burial site on the coldest day of the year, or the coldest day. He, he could imagine, probably in the middle of January or February, and, um, and when he stood in front of his mother's grave, he began to weep uncontrollably, and then he stripped bare naked, and then he asked his mother, Umma, is this how you felt the night you died for me? And when, after the pastor gave that sermon, or that illustration, like, everybody was crying. <laughs> You know, like everybody was crying, right? I was probably crying too. I just didn't, uh, I just didn't want to admit it to myself. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, no, that's not tears, right? Yeah. Um, I was probably like that. I was still a teenager. And, and I remember uh, I was like, oh, you know, uh, that's what repentance is. And you know, that's the heart of repentance or uh, the centrality of re- repentance. And, um, and from that point on, for whatever reason, um, you know, I, I'm not blaming the pastor. Maybe I just misunderstood the, the the whole, the big picture. But from that point on, I thought, well, in order for me to know that I repented, to be certain that I repented, that God would receive my repentance, I have to feel like that young boy, right? I have to be like him uh, in the story. Not that I have to get literally naked and cry in the middle of the night um, in, in the in the middle of winter, but that when I'm imagining the cross and I'm thinking about uh, the glory of Christ Jesus, that uh, I must be undone. And yeah, of course, sin should devastate you. Um, you know, and, and, uh, until until sin be bitter, Christ would not be sweet, right? So I was like, oh, you know, that's how it has to be every time. Every time. Every time. So I, I thought that. And uh, after that, um, you know, I would lather myself with guilt, with shame, with, uh, I guess, a, a form of uh, self, um, self-deprecation. self And uh, so, you know, whenever I fell to um, habitual sins such as pornography or lust or anger or, you know, bouts of pride, I didn't feel like I could approach God until I was until I was, uh, until I was uh, neck high um, and caked with guilt and shame. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I presume some of you struggle with that too. Um, instead of trusting in the grace, uh, the reservoir, the unending flow of His mercy and grace, you trust in yourself. You put the confidence in yourself uh, to be lovable, to be savable, to be cleansable, to be redeemable. But God doesn't make you savable. He saves you, right? He doesn't make you cleansable. He makes you pure as a driven snow, right? He doesn't just make you lovable. He loves you. He doesn't just make you acceptable, like, some brand-name clothes or a nice haircut and uh, clean you up, he accepts you, right? He justifies you. And that is a a verdict without the performance um, because most of our, uh, or not most, but there are times where my repentance is motivated by fear, which leads to self-hatred. And that self-hatred spreads to condemnation of others. See, we spread whatever is deepest within us. We spread whatever is deepest was in us we we're all contagious yeah, we're all contagious and uh but true repentance biblical repentance set in motion and motivated by the absolute assurance of god's love, eventually hates sin and by faith is set free in Christ for Christ through christ and um, the the fruit or the eventual outcome of that is to love the lost, to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, to say, he who has been uh, forgiven much loves much. He who has been forgiven little, little loves little. You know, I love what Paul Washer said one time in a message. Um, and he said he was bringing to light the modern man's perception of Christianity. And i want—I like to quote him. Paul Washer says, quote, a lot of people think that Christianity is doing all the righteous things you hate and avoiding all the wicked things you love in order to go to heaven. Let me say that one more time. A lot of people think that Christianity is doing all the righteous things you hate, you really don't like doing, and avoiding all the wicked things you love in order to go to heaven. No, he says, that's the lost man with religion. A Christian is a person whose heart has been changed. They have new affections, end of quote. If I could, if I could just recap and surmise that, that uh, quote, I would say no, <laughs> the gospel is not about nice people. It's not about being nice. It's about new people. It's about being new. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make dead people alive. And in today's passage, uh, we see that John the Baptist uh, is baptizing. Right? He's living up to his name. And some of you all know that John is Jesus' cousin. You know, where I'm from, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, you know, everybody calls each other like cousin, right? But we don't say cousin like we have a short term. We say cuz-o, right? So everybody says other uh, cousin, even my real cousins, my blood cousins. And, um, you know, I, I imagine that uh, John and Jesus had a unique relationship. Because I don't know if you guys are close to any of your cousins, but there's the kind of relationship that you can form with your cousin that's unlike any other. And, uh, you know, John, for me, uh, coming from a hip-hop culture, was the ultimate hype man. You know, like he's the best. He's like the best MC. You know, he's the forerunner, trailblazer, and uh, he sets the stage for Christ. You know, I've been to a few concerts, and uh, you know, people are there for the main event, right? For the for the main attraction. But you need a good opening act. You know what I mean? You need a very good opening act in order to get your juices flowing for the main event. And that's what John did. That's what John did. And uh, so I love the characters. Of John, and we know that he was a peculiar man. And in this story, we see that John is baptizing folks of all kinds of uh, stripes and uh, backgrounds, um, and he's baptizing them. And he says that I bapt- in verse 11. John says, "I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who was coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to candle. He's talking about Christ. And Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His wintering fork is in his hand, and he will clear his dressing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You know, I know that uh, in our time, baptism is a, uh, a symbolic ritual. It's like a wedding day, right? You can get legally married in the court. Way before the wedding day, right? But the ceremony is a grand display. It is a a, a, a beautiful showcase of these two people, how much they love each other. And as John was uh, baptizing people, the prerequisite for this baptism was repentance. And nothing has changed. <laughs> nothing has changed. Today. The prerequisite for Baptism is repentance and faith in Christ jesus, and so he 's calling people to repent, not say a sinner 's prayer, not not uh, not cry a lot i 'm sure it happened. there was much weeping and and mourning over their sin, um, but the baptism represents the crossover from death to life. I had the privilege and the honor of baptizing. Uh, a newlywed, uh, a, a few weeks ago, they just got married. I, so I got to officiate. I got to officiate their wedding, and then two weeks later, I got I got to uh, baptize them. Well, I baptized the dude, and then the husband baptized the wife. It was gorgeous, um, and so that's what was going on. And uh, John is just baptizing, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, right? And 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 John didn't expect Jesus to be there right? He didn't expect him. In verse 13, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, verse 14, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So here's what's going on in my my third eye. uh, Jesus showed up out of nowhere and you know, you know, you know. My eye is like, oh, what you doing here?" Right? John's like, "Cuzo, what you doing here, man?" Right? Because um, there's a line of sinners, right? It's like Black Friday kind of line of people waiting to be uh, baptized, right? Um, after repentance, and so the last person you expect there is Jesus. Think about it for a second, right? That's the last person you expect there. Just like if you went to a bar or, you know, you, you went out one Friday night or Saturday night, which, which is nothing wrong with that. But the last person you expect to be there is Pastor Dave. <laughs> I mean, you might see me there because I'm still single, right? But the last, <laughs> the last person you expect is Pastor Bobby. I mean, that's my boy, but I would I still, see? Like, we're, we're so close, but I still wouldn't expect him to be here, right? i hey like, Bobby, what you doing here, man? You know? It's not like you're, you're awkward or unhappy. It's just, what you doing here, right? So John, that's what John's saying to his cousin Jesus. What you doing here? Cousin, what you doing here? And Jesus says, I'm here to be baptized by you. Again, that would be, that's very awkward. It's, it's you're blindsided, you know? Um, maybe if I said something like, I'm here to be a wingman <laughs> to the guy, you guys would be like, that's awkward, right? It's the same feeling. Just you know, this paralysis by analysis. It's like, what? What's going on? And John says, "No. You should be baptizing me." So they're going back and forth. It's like uh, when Korean people go out to eat and a check comes. <laughs> It's like, no, I got this. No, 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 I got this, right? It's like, no, 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 you got it last time, right? So it's like, I insist, I insist, right? And then, you know, finally Jesus gets fed up, and he looks at his cousin John and says, child, please, baptize me, <laughs> right? He is Lord, right? He is Lord, even of John. And, um, and Jesus tells John why he must be baptized in verse 15. But Jesus answered John, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness. Something was lacking. Um, And then John consented. It's like the little kid that says, why, why, why? And Jesus didn't just say, because I said so. He told him. And when Jesus was baptized, uh, immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were open to him he sort of the spirit of God to stand like a dove and coming to rest on him you remember there's a crowd there I want you guys to remember something in the midst of this spectacle Jesus had not raised a dead man from the grave yet no? Remember, it's only chapter 3, y'all. He didn't heal leper. He didn't make blind eyes see. He didn't call Matthew. He didn't call Peter. He didn't call Bartholomew. He didn't call Andrew yet. What has he done thus far? He didn't turn water into wine. He didn't do anything. He has nothing to show. For his ministry. I mean, you know that question what makes you you? Like, you know, what do you hang your head on? How do you justify your existence? Why are you worth anything? I mean, Jesus has no resume. And you guys know if you're looking for a job, if you have no experience, you're not getting a job, right? He has no experience. He has nothing. It's a blank page. And then John baptizes him. And the heavens break out into applause, and the father stands for him. Jesus received the verdict without the performance, as Tim Keller argues uh, in his book, "The uh, the, the Freedom of Self-Forgiveness." This is what Apostle Paul experienced too. That's why in Philippians three, he said he he goes and through. He goes through his uh, uh, accolades, right, all of his awards, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, Pharisee of the Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin. Um, In in terms of uh, Phariseeism, I was flawless. But then in verse 7, he makes this uh, U-turn, and he says, but I consider all of these things worth dung. Worth nothing, less than nothing, compared to knowing the all surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right? I want you guys to understand something about Jesus and his repentance and baptism in this, in this story today. I'm not, in any way, discounting um, the main heartbeat of, of the gospel drama, which is the cross. But before Jesus died and gave his life for you, he had to live for you. Before Jesus could die for you and give his perfect sacrifice, sacrificial life for you, he had to live in perfect obedience. What made him worthy, worthy, worthy to be the Lamb of God was that he met all the requirements. Fully submitted to the Father. Never failed him. Every day he hit the bullseye. Some of you guys know the word sin. Harmatia means to miss the mark. And guess what? If you miss the mark by a mile or you miss the mark by a millimeter, what do those two people have in common? They miss the mark. Right? If I miss the mark by a mile or I miss the mark by a millimeter, I've missed the mark. I'm a sinner. And the Bible does not say, oh, sin is sin. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My salvation, your salvation is so impossible that Christ and Christ alone had to achieve it for us. And this entailed repenting in your place. My friends, my family, I am such a mess. I, am, I have such ulterior motives and crafty, manipulative habits in my heart that my repentance needs repentance. And that's why that, that young boy in the story, even that is insufficient. It is not good enough. It is not how well I can sympathize with Christ on the cross that makes me a Christian. It is not my theological stance about the cross that makes me a Christian. It is not how many teardrops, it's not bubbles that, <laughs> that have been delivered. On the last night of a retreat that makes me a Christian. It's not how many sermons or how many how well exegeted passage that makes me a Christian. It is Christ. It is Christ. Just like the thief on the cross next to Jesus. He was just scared when he said, Lord, remember me when you enter paradise. He was literally on his last breath. He was just scared. And if I'm gonna be sincere with y'all today, I only trusted Christ, because I didn't want to go to hell. Now, it evolved, and it has grown uh, exponentially since then by the power of God's spirit. But at the very, at, at the very heart of it, I was terrified that God had reserved his wrath for me. And I wanted his wrath to pass over. And that's why I trusted in Christ. See, Jesus didn't receive my repentance that day because it was clean or good or wholesome. There was nothing I could do to make God love me. See, my repentance was inadequate. It didn't really matter. And this is going to humble some of you guys. I hope it hurts your feelings. But in some ways, your repentance is insignificant without the repentance of Christ. See, Jesus in the Jordan River, he apologized to the Father for things he never did. He apologized to the Father for things I did. He had to repent in my place. Do you understand? He had to get down on his knees. The Son of God, the God, man, Christ Jesus, had to get down in the Jordan River. Had to to be baptized for me. He had to repent for me. He said, i got to fulfill all righteousness. Whose righteousness did Christ have to fulfill? His righteousness could not be any fuller. It was my righteousness. You know, do people have these theological questions sometimes during Q&A time? Well, what if you're like committing some uh, horrendous sin and you die in that moment? Because there are people who've been caught with a hooker or or caught um, doing something uh, sordid and 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 vicious, and then they die in that moment, right? Well, if the, in, pe- people ask me, well, if they put their trust in Christ at a time before that moment, do they still go to heaven? Yes. That's the scandal of grace. Because some of you guys are terrified, right? Like, oh, oh, and that's what keeps you from doing uh, unthinkable crimes or sexual acts. It's not really for the Christ's sake, right? It's not because He melts you, it's because, I don't know, you, you don't have assurance of salvation. Until you know. How much Christ is committed to you, you cannot commit to him. You will not commit to him. Until you embrace the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and you completely believe that he's done it all, all to him I owe, you cannot live a holy and and beautiful life. You can't. You can't do it. To be wrong about this gospel is to be wrong about everything. If you are wrong about this gospel of Christ, you are wrong about everything in life. Jesus Christ promises you two things an eternal salvation in which to hope, and a a cross on which to die. But you cannot truly indulge in that call and that identity unless you believe in what I just told you. Romans 5, 19 said, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, a.k.a. Adam. So by the one man's obedience, Christ Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Oh, man, this is beautiful, right? I want to to close by just, you know, talking to people in this room who are unsure of their salvation. Okay? and that 's why you continue to uh, meander back into sin and and um and unrighteousness it's because you don't have uh, that Teflon a uh, bulletproof unshakable faith that jesus has done it all for you uh there's a, a a writer named j d greer he's pretty popular now and um he once struggled with um Assurance of salvation. He wrote a book that I recommend for you. It's called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. (laughs) That's the title of the book. Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I was like, Amen, man. That's right. Stop asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I don't know where people got that because it's not in the Bible. But he says in the book, um, like, how could I? He asked himself as a young boy growing up in the church, how could I ever repent enough? To be truly worthy of Jesus, how could I ever give a sufficient response to His Lordship? How could I ever be sorry enough for my sin? I think the agents in this room might be able to uh, relate to this. Uh, could be live in a shame-based culture? But everybody feels this way to a certain point. Did I feel sorry for? Uh, did I feel sorry enough for my sin? And J.D. Aguirre, uh, uh, furthermore, says, uh, even my best repentance, my fullest surrender, was a far cry from what was due unto Jesus. He knew, this is a very bright man at a young age, he said he knew that no matter how much he repented and how well he repented, God could never look at his repentance and say, your repentance was perfect. Right? God will, can never look at your repentance and say, that was good enough. Well done. He'll never never say that to you. You know that, right? That's the bad news. And that's what J.D. Greer wrestled with in all his youth. And then he read this passage, this baptism of repentance. And he shared this quote in the book. He said, Jesus lived the life I should have lived, all of it. He kept all 600 and plus commandments. He did everything perfectly in my place. So the good news for me is that I don't have to repent perfectly because Jesus repented for me. And he said, and I love this, he said, as the Puritans used to say, even our tears of repentance must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Even our tears of repentance must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only reason the Father, Son, and Spirit receive your repentance, because it is washed in the flow. That flow. That beautiful, sacrificial flow. That's why he receives my repentance. It's not because I'm banging on the floor or because a pastor is breaking my neck, (laughs) praying over me. It is because of Christ. I'm not sitting here saying I don't examine myself or evaluate my contrition. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some kind of self-reflection. But I don't concern myself with how bad I feel anymore. Did I feel bad enough? I just run to Him. I don't wait till I, till I think God's not as angry as He was two minutes ago or two days ago. Because some of you guys don't read your Bible because... You just don't feel good enough anymore. You don't feel worthy. But that's, that's the good news. You know what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, my friends? Yeah, they lost a lot of things. But because they lost their relationship with God, their glory, they could no longer draw near. And in Hebrews 4, is that it says that Jesus is our great high priest. And now it is a command. To draw near. What good is the gospel if we don't get God? If we get forgiveness, justification, glorification, adoption, but we don't get Christ, then what good is it? The goal of the gospel is to get you to God, John Piper says. That's the goal of the gospel is to get you to God, not get you into heaven. To get you to God. And and Christ had to repent in your place so you could get to God, especially in your sin. That's the mark of maturity, shining star. It is not how little you sin or that you are improving in your sin. It is that when you sin, you repent at the moment. You hit your knees and you say, Lord, Lord, your obedience is greater than my disobedience. Receive me in your name. Now, you don't got to pray like that. But you know, <laughs> you get the picture. Right? That is scandalous, right? I feel like a little kid tugging on my father's pants legs saying, really? No way. That's what you're like? It's too good to be true. See, when the heavens opened up, as I closed, we have victory in the voice of Christ now. Because Christ had the victory in the voice of his father. I'm proud of you. You're mine. That's my son. I, I, see, I see fathers watching their kid play basketball, football, and baseball. And they stand up. And that's my son. That's my son. But they only do that when they, when, when they make a play. <laughs> That's my son. They don't say that's my son when he fumbles or when he turns the ball over, right? But no matter what, you turn the ball over, you fumble, you miss the game-winning shot. That's my son. That's my daughter. Because sometimes when I go over uh, 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 homes, families, um, and I look on the fridge I see the, the four-year-old painting and drawing, and I ain't gonna lie, I'll never say this out loud, but I look at it, and I'm like, why would you hang that up? That, that thing, no. Why would you hang that up? That's horrible, even for a four-year-old. Uh, you, can, you, you can do better than that? Come on, I look at him like, no, oh, man. You know, you gotta, you, you, gotta, you gotta get your game up, right? But you know, I thought about why the, the, the parents hang up their children's drawings. Because it's not about the quality. It ain't about the quality. It ain't about the excellence. That's my son. The only reason the Father and the Son and the Spirit receive your good works today, your charitable acts, your ministry of mercy, the only reason that God receives my sermon right now Because I'm his son. And not because you like this sermon. I couldn't care less. It's because I'm his son. That's why he receives my good works. It's not because they're excellent. They're crappy. Just like that drawing on the fridge. It's crappy. But why does the Father raise the banner for me? Because his banner is over me. Jehovah Nisi. His banner is over me. His voice of victory is always over me. And he quiets me with his love. I ask that you would bow your head with me. My dear friends and family, beloved in Christ, I know that Pastor David, he, he pleads to the Father for your growth, for your maturity. He's contending for your faith as your pastor. But I think the main reason most of us um, are struggling uh, in our in our walk is that we have we do not have what Christ had or has for all eternity to hear the Father say that's my son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Until you are absolutely sure that God is for you and who can be against you, he who did not spare his own son, won't he give us all good things. Until you have that rock-solid assurance, you cannot grow. Because it's all going to be based on performance and fear and, and, and you're looking for a verdict. But the gospel says you can live from the verdict. You can live out of the gospel. See, you can't live out the gospel, right? It happened 2,000 years ago. But you can live out of the gospel. Most of us are living for the verdict, right? We're looking for the voice of victory. But you have it in Christ, and that's why I mentioned that Jesus is always on the right hand of the Father interceding for you. If, if the suffering Jesus endured on the cross did not cause him to give up on you, nothing will. You think pornography is going to make Jesus give up on you if the cross couldn't do it? You think sexual immorality or homosexuality or Hey, even divorce. You think that's going to make Jesus give up on you? No. No. So I'd like to just pray for you. I'm going to ask the Spirit to convict you um, of pride, of self-sufficiency, and self-reliance. And I pray that at this time, even our tears of repentance will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And all his thoughts, the thoughts of Christ Jesus, the thoughts of the Father and the Spirit would define you now and forevermore. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, thank you that we can say you are too good to be true. But you are the only fairy tale that is not a fairy tale. You are real. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning to be awakened. To be sweetly broken by your humility. Lord, why would you why would you repent in my play? Why would you take the hit from me? Lord, I'm a foul creature. I always defend myself. I always throw people under the bus. I always say, it's not my fault. I play the blame game. But there you are, Lord, in the Jordan River, repenting in my place. Oh, Jesus. Before you could go the distance, you had to start there to repent for me and now I think about it for me to go the distance I must learn how to re-repent to relearn repent to repent from my repentance <laughs> oh Jesus I am a wretch who will rescue me from this body of death thanks be to God We have redemption in your blood. Please, Holy Spirit, guide these young vessels to a fuller, wider, and deeper knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, so they may grow in grace from now and into eternity. Amen.